As we think of uh, coming together, just to think about um, faith in later life, one of those things attached to that is the area of weakness and vulnerability. Um, and in Second Corinthians, that comes up a lot. Um, our weakness, God's strength. And in Second Corinthians 12, um, just from verse 8 to 10, it speaks about that. When Paul has his uh, thorn in the flesh, and he says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together. And Father God, as we think about uh, the power of this world, the strength of this world, uh, boasting, Lord, we are so aware of our own uh, frailties, our own vulnerabilities, and especially in growing older, uh, that challenge of our strength uh, failing us in times. And yet we see here, Lord, that we can boast in our weaknesses, for your, your power is made perfect in weakness. We can boast about the glorious grace that we have in the Lord Jesus. And so help us, Lord, to understand how we might live that out, how we might minister to others in later life, that we would be best serve them, care for them, love them, equip them uh, to love you more and to bring you glory. And this we ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, please have a seat. And thank you so much for the privilege of sharing with you this really important topic, one that I feel really passionately about. I'm not quite old enough to come along to contact. I've only got a year to go. There we go. We'll be joining together. It's a really important subject for the whole church. We're trying to record this evening because actually it's one for the whole church to grapple with and to think about. Um, I I feel something of a fraud, though, because I'm just looking around. I'm guessing that many of you will have been Christians for longer than I've been a Christian. Became a Christian in 1981. But some of you probably can say I've been a Christian much longer than that. And some of you have much more experience in church life and in working with uh, older folk and with seniors. And we'll have, there'll be much more wisdom in the room, essentially, than I've got. And I'm okay with that, if you are. Um, I, I think my job this evening is just to help us think about some Bible principles. I've got eight Bible principles. They're on the sheet. I hope you've got a sheet. If you haven't, um, Dr. Phil over there will bring one round for you. Um, so there's eight Bible principles on the sheet. And uh, we might not get through them all. It doesn't really matter. But each time I'm going to pause, just because I think it'll be useful for us to talk and on occasion pray about some of the things we're learning as we go. Um, I think we've got to be a little bit careful as we talk about some of these things because you might have um, in the back of your mind a bit of an agenda. I don't mean in a sort of malicious way, but you might be thinking, oh, if only the church did this, if only the church did that. And do need a sense of realism in the church about what the church has got the capacity to do. So, So this evening really is about establishing the Bible framework and beginning to think about what that means for us as individuals and especially for us as a church. Now, it seems to me that one of the key things to identify right from the beginning is the absolute value and, in fact, the power of the way that the gospel breaks down barriers that society erects. 
You see that very clearly in Ephesians. We didn't get through all of Ephesians 2 this morning, as you all know, um, if you were here. But as Ephesians 2 continues, there is this extraordinary development of a theme that Paul's introduced in chapter 1 of how people from different backgrounds are brought together in the gospel. Jew and Gentile. Now that's really important in Ephesians because Jew and Gentile were really um, not friends in the world. But the gospel breaks down what Paul calls the dividing wall of hostility and brings Jew and Gentile together. And then as you move on into chapter 3, you discover that it is the bringing together of groups that wouldn't naturally be together, Jew and Gentile in this case, that actually displays the wisdom of God in the world. So if you were to look over to chapter 3 and verse 10, you see this extraordinary statement. His intent, that's God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that manifold wisdom, multicoloured wisdom, that's what it means, is the bringing together of all different kinds of people to be one in Christ Jesus. And and Paul is saying here that, that God's purpose in the world is to bring these people from different backgrounds together in the church so that the world, and not just the world, but the heavenly realms, the authorities in the heavenly realms, might see what the Lord is doing and cower, be be amazed I think for Paul that um, in Ephesus, the, the real pressure point is Jew and Gentile. But it's pretty clear in the rest of the New Testament that's not always the pressure point. Sometimes it's about age, sometimes it's about experience, sometimes it's about background, sometimes it's about marital status. All kinds of different barriers, if you like, that the world might construct in different cultures are done away with by the gospel And it is in the bringing together of people from different backgrounds that in the church, the glory, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed. Not just to the people of Long Crendon and around about, but to the devil himself. Isn't that extraordinary? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, every Sunday when you gather as a church, people from all different backgrounds, all different stories to tell, the devil looks doesn't look down, he looks, however he looks, and he quakes. He sees that the Lord is fulfilling his purpose. Now you might not think of church in those cosmic ways. You might think of church in terms of, I wonder what we're going to sing today. Or I wonder who the preacher is. Or, you know, I wonder what the coffee's going to be like today. You, you, we would tend to reduce church down to those quite sort of mundane things, and they're not unimportant. But whenever a church meets and, and works and serves together, there is this cosmic thing going on. Which just, you can hardly get your head around. The devil and all his demons are shaking when they see what the Lord is doing in Long Crendon. And in fact, in lots of other places too. Now, we can imagine, can't we, very quickly, what some of the cultural divisions that we put up in the world are. They might be about social background. They might be about race. They might be about language. They might be about a number of other things. In today's world, increasingly, they're also about age. There are differences in the world because of age. I don't think we particularly live in a culture that respects age. And that may be true in some subsections of culture, but generally we don't respect, I think, older folk. 
And, and so actually, when the church brings together people from different ages, as well as different races, cultures, language, and so on, when it brings together people from different ages, Satan is being punched on the nose. That's, that's right, that's what's happening. The manifold wisdom of God is being displayed in the heavenly realms. And that's why this subject matters. It's not simply about caring for those who are getting older, though that's really important. It's not just about seeing the value of those who are getting older in church, especially for younger people. That's really important. This is about punching Satan on the nose. And when you see it in that context, you realize what an important subject it is. So let's um, just look at some facts and figures. The facts and figures are interesting because um, they they tend to prove that we see uh, getting older negatively. The the cultural way of reflecting on old age tends to be negative. How can we put it off, for example? How how can we just sort of stop people getting older and, 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 and some of the burden that comes with that? How can we deal with the burden? How can we deal with the social care burden that there is in the world? Uh, things are expressed in those ways. People, are, of course, are very well-meaning. But it just goes to show that, that essentially culture is thinking at, at least neutrally, probably negatively about older age. It becomes something to deal with. It becomes a problem to manage in society. And what we need to see is the Bible has a completely different view. And it's reasonably counter-cultural. But here's, here's some information uh, for you. Um, if we were to do, um, let's see, let's do a little block. If we were to do people over 60, okay, how many people in the UK are over 60 at the moment? And the answer is that many, just over 15 million. Okay? So that's 23% of the population are over 60. Um, what about if you did, um, let's do this, over 80 Anybody like to have a guess? Over 80? This is interactive evening, by the way, so you can shout out. And um, there are no prizes, but equally, if you get it wrong, it doesn't matter either. What do you think? In terms of millions? Seven million. Seven million? 3.2. It's interesting. Much smaller than you think. 3.2. Okay, over nine, I won't have to get you to call out on all of these things. Um, if you were over 90... Is anyone here over 90? You might not want to reveal if you're over 90. Anyone here over 90? I guess there are folks in the church, aren't there, over 90? It's um, 0.6 million. Um, now, just to extend that, if, um, if we did over 85s, I know that's a different number, but if, if we did over 85s, it would be about here, over 85, so about 1.6 million. Um, but within 10 years... Over 85s will be here. In other words, people are living longer. I'm not surprised by that. And there's actually been a slight dip over the last year in life expectancy in the UK. But generally the trend, life expectancy, is to go upwards. Although, by the way, it's worth saying that life expectancy in the UK varies enormously depending on where you live and what your social background is. So in some parts of London, it is very, very low. You hardly retire, and then the average life expectancy for men especially, that, that's the end. So it, it's, it's quite shocking when you see the disparity actually in life expectancy in different cultures. Um, let's just ask a slightly different question. Imagine you were born last year. Okay, um, the, I guess there are some babies in the church, are there, born last year? 
wonderful when babies are born. So babies born last year, how many of them will live to be a hundred? Okay, just turn to a neighbour. This is just a little sort of little quiz to beginning with. Um, I've got men and women separately. How many of the babies born in the church yesterday? Sorry, yesterday, last year. Babies born in 2021. What proportion of them will live to be a hundred? Do you think male or female? Just just have a little buzz with a neighbour. Just see what number you come up with. What do you think? It's speculative, isn't it? But what do you think? Bear in mind it's very low today, unless you're in the royal family. Okay, anybody wants to have a guess? What proportion of, should we do women first? What proportion of women, so what proportion of baby girls born last year do um, sociologists estimate will reach 100 years old? 20. 20. Any advances on 20? 30. Who said 30? Great wisdom in the room. It's 29. 29% of people who are born now, basically girls, women, as they will grow up, will get to 100. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Um, Men, sorry, it's a little bit less. 23. Still very high. At the moment, it's less than 1% for both. Now, that is an extraordinary shift, isn't it? That's an extraordinary shift in the demographics of the population. And by the way, um, there are all kinds of political, sociological, economic issues around that that are largely unaddressed because um, politicians don't really want to think that far ahead. Now, even in terms of how is the NHS structured, for example, and what kind of medical care do we provide, all those sorts of questions, which are just very, very tough questions for politicians, um, largely being unanswered. Um, Here's a slightly different question. How many people over 65, would you say, in the UK, say that their only companion is the television? Here's the answer. Five million. Five million. So just under 10% of the population say the TV is their main companion or only companion. So, So you can see, can't you, and perhaps this is unsurprising, that one of the... One of the struggles that society has with older age is not simply about care, it's about connection. Which is why actually the church has a very, very powerful role to play and a very, very powerful message. Just one or two other facts and figures just to help you. Um, 7% of those over 65 suffer from dementia. That goes up to almost 20% if you're over 80. It's high, isn't it? Um, of 65 to 74-year-olds, 46%, which is also high, have multimorbidity. Doctor, what does that mean? Uh, many diseases going on. Okay, more than one critical disease going on at the same time. So 46% of 65 to 74-year-olds, it increases to 70% if you're over 85. So life is complicated, right? And, and, and if you're older, as some of you will know, Life is not as complicated, it it can be painful, it can be messy, it can be difficult, it can be hard. Now, all of those stats are true, but they all are feeding the monster, 
which says old age is a kind of we want to try and avoid it at all costs. So they are facts, but there are lots of qualitative facts as well. These are quantities, aren't they? There are some qualitative facts that ignore really the value that older folk have in society. So let me tell you my principles. Here's principle number one. The Bible is positive about old age whilst remaining realistic. I do love this at the Bible, about the Bible. The, the Bible is, uh, when it considers old age, marries together these kind of twin elements. What, one is that old age actually is something to be celebrated in some way because of the benefit it is to others. And yet, at the same, same time, it's realistic. It doesn't kind of say, oh, well, you know, everyone gets old. It doesn't matter. No, it's, it's realistic about the struggles of getting older. So let me give, give you some examples. I won't go through with all of these, um, but they are quite interesting. So if you go to the Psalms, and by the way, I'm, I'm jumping around a bit this evening, so don't feel you have to follow all these references round, but they're there on the sheet if you want them. Um, so this is 90, Psalm 92. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. A cedar, by the way, is a mature, a nice mature tree planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. There seems to be a the Bible recognises a vitality in faith in older years, which is really very heartening and very important to see. But it is also realistic. There's a very famous little section at the end of Ecclesiastes, um, which describes in, in rather kind of picturesque terms what it's like to get older. And you may know this passage well. Now, you have to just imagine what the writer's talking about. So uh, see if you can do that. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, probably the eyes and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble, possibly the teeth and the strong men stoop, the grinders cease because they're few and those looking through the windows grew, grow dim when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding, grinding fades and, and so it goes on poetically describing an aging body so I love this about the Bible it doesn't, it doesn't sugarcoat life God's word is honest about life, and we need to be honest about life, don't we? Christians, above all, should be able to be honest about life. And yet there's also a positivity about it. And of course, the key thing about that is the Bible sees that life is going somewhere. It's not just, you know, a hole in the ground and nothing more. My, my family are not believers. And my father says, well, you know, when I die, that'll be it. And we don't share that view, do we? We have a much more positive view about where life is going. We've got these wonderful pictures, especially in Revelation 21, of when everything will be made new. Or, or 2 Corinthians 4 that Colin was reading to us earlier. When you think about the, the earthly tent being renewed, there's great hope in the Christian faith. We don't just believe in the resurrection of Jesus. We don't even just believe in our resurrection. We believe in a bodily resurrection. When our bodies will be made new. When nothing will creak and groan and misfire and malfunction, it all be operating perfectly and beautifully. That's what we believe in. 
bodily resurrection. We also need to be honest, I think, and Christians can own up to this quite easily because we believe and rejoice in the gospel, that the aging bodies we inhabit are an indirect result of living in a sinful world. So sin entered the world in Genesis 3, and because of that, our bodies go wrong, get old, and ultimately we die. And But it would be wrong to say, well, that must be all a mistake. God didn't plan for that. God doesn't really know how to cope with old age, just like we don't know how to cope with old age. No, he is all-seeing, all-knowing. So we hold in tension this truth that sin is in the world, and therefore the world is broken and we are broken. And yet God, who knows and sees all things, provides for us and gives us everything we need for life and godliness. I am happy to take questions. Well, I, I might bat them back and just say I'll talk to you at the end, if that's okay. It depends, it depends what the question is. There we go. You've just stated that aging and reduced capacity are an indirect result of Yes. Why then, at the end of chapter 3 of Genesis, does the Lord God said, say, um, Adam was not be allowed to reach out and take also from the tree of life and eat, otherwise... Uh, the answer to that is because the tree of life is available to Adam, so he wouldn't have aged. So this is the gift that God gives him, and to Eve in the garden is the tree of life. So um, the, the question about whether if Adam had decided not to eat from that tree in the garden is somewhat moot, because God gave him that tree to eat and said it's a good tree for you to eat from. But once he's out of the garden that he's not able to access the tree, and therefore that's part of the punishment that he receives. So the punishment he receives is lack of access to the tree of life. Okay, I get the distinction you've got. Yeah. Um, let's just pause a moment. I'd just love you to reflect, just for 30 seconds, maybe with a neighbour that you talked to before. If you found, by the way, that the person you talked to before wasn't very wise, choose someone else. <laughs> that's always a good strategy, isn't it? <laughs> How is this, what we've just been thinking about, how is it different from the world? Just just draw some distinctions. How is that different from the way the, the world thinks about older age? Just draw some distinctions. Just a couple, of, a couple of, well, even just a minute to talk about a friend with that, and then we'll just share some of our answers. Off you go. How does that differ from the world? Who'd like to shout out an answer? Where, where do we see a contrast with how the world thinks of older people. We've touched on one or two of them already, but what other things have you been talking about? Yeah, go on, Colin. That's a good plan. Well done. Does anyone have a point before I speak? Okay, I'll just say something. Um, I suppose maybe just the... It's a nice little dance you're doing there, by the way. (laughs) Scottish countries next year. Um, The... um, the point on uh, just the, the, the pursuit of that sort of idolatrous pursuit of youth, I was thinking of the, the clothing brand Forever 21, which has apparently gone out of business. Um, but it, it is uh, that, that obsession with youth. Thank you. It's really helpful. Yeah, pursuit of youth. What else? What else have we got? Someone over there, yeah. Yeah, well, we have the hope of the resurrection, faith in the resurrection and the resurrection body, and they just don't have any hope. That's right. So there is there's something more. 
That's right, thank you. It's not the end. Yeah, really helpful. Mm. Yeah. In some ways, the ungodly society around us, uh, even now going into the other cultures, even Asians are beginning to feel, we older people, we are a bit like the used goods, just to be disposed of and get rid of. Um, uh, not to be seen, you know, <laughs> it's, it's easy just to put us into the old people's homes or something yeah, like that. thank you, yes. That's really helpful, isn't it? And one, one or two more? Anything else? So easy exit, um, you know, don't be a burden on society, off you go. Yeah, and actually, I, I think it's not just that, it's more subtle than that. It, it's shifting the responsibility for that to the person. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, so it's not, um, it's not I'm, tell, I'm telling you that you're a, a burden on society. No, you work out for yourself that you're a burden on society and take responsibility, which absolves me of any blame in the decisions you make to take your life. It's extraordinary shift in culture, yeah. But again, the, right against Christianity, thanks. Really helpful, yeah. I was going to suggest that people show care for the elderly, but perhaps don't give them the respect that the Bible reflects that the, old, that the older people... Yes, there's a lack of respect, isn't there? Yeah. I'd say, we'll talk about lack of respect in just a moment. Um, and one of the ways you see that, interestingly, is an increased... Have you, have you noticed this? An increased number of court cases where children um, fight the wills of their parents in court once they've died because they want to get the money. Have you noticed that? That's a narrative that's going on. So, um, you know, maybe it's Aunt Agatha dies, leaves her money to a home or something like that, and the children say, that's not fair, I deserve it, belongs to me, and so there's a court case. You, you read about one of those a week. And it's quite interesting how... So, so in, in that context, those who are older are basically seen as, you know as you know you 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 owe me <laughs> rather than the other way round that's <laughs> how it should be yeah. come we as the world think if there's a problem we know best how to fix it but well, we don't god knows god has the wisdom we don't so it's even seen in the way that the world kind of comes up with solutions to the problems isn't it yeah we've got one more and then we'll press on i, I don't know if this is a bit of a red herring <laughs> um it's just God's put eternity in men's hearts. So, I don't know. I'm just trying to play the other side. Is therefore that's why man um, pursues youth, uh, fears death, because God's put eternity in hearts. I think that's really helpful. Hearts. Yeah, really helpful. I think that's right. Yeah. Jeff Bezos is the, you know, Amazon. Yes. Yeah. Pursuing eternal life. That's right. People sort of paying for their. Um, their bodies to be frozen, all that kind of thing. Okay, thanks very much. Let, let's press on, because we've got some other things we want to talk about. Um, the, the Bible says this. We'll have a look at Job. I like Job 12, verse 12. Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring... Or what would the world say? Oh, problems, aches, bad health. No, does not long life bring understanding? Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? So this is my point. I think this is the Bible principle. Older believers are storehouses. I love that idea. That in, in, in life and throughout life is being built up a treasure house, a storehouse of God's goodness and wisdom. And you see that time and time again. 
You see it in the Psalms. You see it in other places. Um, you see it in the way, for example, in Titus 2, that the older men are to teach the younger men, the older women are to teach the younger women. Um, I think Psalm 78 is a good example. Psalm 78 is a psalm of Asaph, who seems to be old, and he's passing on his wisdom. He said, I've learned this from a previous generation, my ancestors before me, and now I'm passing it on. That idea of, of a passing on, of accumulated, not just knowledge, but wisdom, which is knowledge applied. You know, younger generations, it's easier for them to find knowledge than ever before. You know, they've got so much information at their fingertips. Um, but older folk are a storehouse of God's wisdom, knowledge applied, and indeed God's goodness. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And, and I think um, this is irrefutable, it seems to me. It's irrefutable because it's in the Bible. It's also just generally irrefutable. Um, older folk have more experience of life and have been through experiences. So when my um, two daughters, um, two eldest daughters, when they were pregnant, they went to my wife to ask her what it was like to get experience from her. They didn't go to my youngest daughter, who's never had a baby, and say, what do you think it's going to be like? That would be stupid. And we know that. So it, it, it's, it's not a radical but, but I wonder if there's just a little question just to, to follow up on this. And, and it's a question that's at the bottom of the sheet. How can churches create or incorporate opportunities to pass that kind of wisdom along? So sitting in the church at any one time, sitting in Long Crendon Baptist Church, is this extraordinary storehouse of wisdom that actually, for example, young married couples or young singles or children or young parents or whoever it may be in the church, they, they need that wisdom. It's a gift from God. How are they going to access it? Okay, another, another, another minute with a friend. Let's think of some ideas. Not necessarily things that we're all going to do in church tomorrow morning, but things that could be done. Perhaps some formal things, informal things. See what you can come up with. Just another minute talking on that. Okay, let's have some ideas. I've got my microphone. It's a bit like daytime telly, isn't it? Let me start over this side. You, you, you lot had a go last time round. Don't worry, we'll come back to you. Any wisdom on this side of the room? What sorts of things could we do in church life, do you think? Or should we just send that? We'll just, okay, here we go. I think it's difficult to create artificially. I think it has to come naturally, but I think it's good for our pastors to be aware of people um, who have faced things and have godly wisdom through having faced things that they can um, pass people on to that perhaps um, are going through a difficult time so they haven't got to, in a sense, know everything and uh, be aware of everything, but know of people who could be helpful think that would be helpful yeah and i think alan <laughs> choose yeah. the price of one that's great isn't it? Well, i'm going to speak okay <laughs> um i think i'm in a very privileged position in that uh i spend time one-to-one -one in a motor car with youngsters that want to learn to drive so i, I have the opportunity to pass on a lot of wisdom um whether it's um appreciated or or, or applied uh, <laughs> What was that? Knowledge applied is wisdom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. It, it, it's time, isn't it? I think fundamentally it's time and it's listening and, and finding ways in church to, to allow people to tell stories, 
tell their stories. I'm always struck when you read through the Psalms. I I studied the Psalms at the end of last year and sort of did a Psalm a day and and kept going and going and going. And when you read the Psalms, you notice how many of them are personal testimonies. This is what's happened to me. And this is how I got through it. And there's a great place in church, isn't there, for personal testimony. We, We often think about people giving their testimony in church. We mean people telling us how they became a Christian. But actually, if you go through the Psalms, most of the times people give a testimony. It's saying how the Lord has helped them. So I I think one of the things we've got to find room to do in church life, and I'm thinking really about our church as much as yours. I don't really know your church. You've got to allow people of all ages, especially those who have got wisdom, this storehouse of wisdom, to tell stories. And, And maybe that's not an interview at the front. Maybe it's a little video clip that you can put on the church WhatsApp. Or, or maybe it's a little conversation with someone at contact. I don't know, there are lots of different ways of doing it these days, aren't there? But we've got to allow people to tell stories. So that, you know, uh, me, I'm sitting down here in the front row, and I'm thinking, that's exactly the kind of thing I'm going through. I can have a quiet word afterwards with someone. And it's building those kinds of connections, I think, isn't it? It's, it doesn't need to be all formal, but there's, there's a place for telling stories, it seems to me. What's the best way to... You can't hit me because I'm right over here, so you can. <laughs> yeah, but if you read the Bible, it says you should look after your own people. It, it states that in the Bible. Yes, we're not talking about looking after, though, here. We're talking about listening to. Yes, well, um, I'll have a, I'm happy to have a conversation with you afterwards. I think life's a bit more complicated than that, because if all we had to do was read the Bible, none of us would need to come to church. And there would be no point in singing or listening to sermons. We just sit at home and read our Bibles. I, I think that God has given us his word, and the ministry of the word is exercised in lots of different ways in church life. I think it's exercised especially in the preaching. It's exercised in our daily reading of the Bible. It's exercised as we sing Bible truths to one another. That's what we do when we sing. And it's, it's exercised as we speak truth to one another in love. I think all of those are kinds of ministry that exist within church. And I'm, I'm, there are some that are more effective and more efficient than others, but I think we want to value the whole breadth of them. That would be my answer. But I'll talk, I'm happy to talk about it afterwards. Right, let's, um, let's press on, because I want to just cover some other things as well. Oh, I've got a spelling mistake I've just noticed. Um, people in later life are to be respected. It seems to me this is pretty clear in the Bible. Leviticus 19.32 establishes that. And those of you who come from cultures which perhaps are a bit more ancient or a bit more like biblical cultures will know that there is a respect for those who are older that actually in this um, society we have um, doesn't really exist. Although um, I was shocked when I turned 40 when someone stood up for me on the tube in London. <laughs> And um, you know that actually, you know, life is just downhill after that. But uh, there is a bit of that still that exists in society. There is a bit of that still that exists. Um, but it is disappearing. And there isn't much respect. 
And, and, and I think actually it's good for society when those who are older are respected. It's an important biblical principle. It's in the Bible, and we should be encouraging one another to do it. This is, a, this is an ancient proverb. It's not from the book of Proverbs, um, but I quite like it. A rulers do not worry until the greybeards murmur. In other words, there is sort of a respect of the wisdom and the value and the insights those who are older have in terms of the way life works. And, and I think one of the things we have to do in church actually is teach our younger folk respect. I think it is a learnt skill. Now, it'd be quite easy to get old and curmudgeonly about that. To say it's not like it used to be, and I don't think that's particularly helpful, that sort of attitude. I think that just, especially amongst younger people. But we have got to show them what the Bible says about respect and teach them the value of it. Um, and indeed, how it's good to be respected by others in all kinds of different ways. So we don't need to perhaps uh, dwell on this too much. Um, does anybody disagree with me about respect? I don't expect you do. No. Um, I, I would love to hear, maybe if there's a moment afterwards, um, and you just notice someone um, who you know comes from a different country or has some insight into a different country, just ask them how older folk are respected in their culture. It's often interesting to hear those stories. Although, as, as I was hearing this afternoon, even in some places around the world, some of that is disappearing. But it is there. And so I think we need to hear from, from people who come from Africa and Asia and lots of other places where there is a respect for those who are older. And the next principle is this. Young and old provide a balance in the church. I think you especially see this in Titus. Um, Let me just read that to you. You also maybe see it in 1 John 2, a little section in 1 John 2, which I won't read out to you, but where John uh, is writing to his readers and he says, I write to you, old men, young men, father. You know that little section in 1 John 2? I've put the reference on the sheet there. Um, And it's important to see that actually the church values, or we should value in the church, this um, mixture. Um, It would be very easy to have a church or to, to run a church, or to set up a church where everybody was the same age. Because you wouldn't have to worry about what music you sang, you wouldn't have to worry about what time services were, you wouldn't have to worry about, you know, all kinds of things that make church life sometimes a bit of a headache. But actually they're the things, things that make church life a headache, wrestling with what you sing, wrestling with, um, you know, how long the sermon is, or what Bible translation, you, all those sorts of things are part of the... Part of the wrestling with creating this, this holy balance in church that, remember from the beginning, displays the glory of God. So let me just read you a little bit from Titus. You probably know these verses very well. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So there is a real value, both practically and theologically, from Ephesians 2, in having this balance of young and old in the church. I, I think one of the things that struck me um, over the last couple of years during the lockdown and some of the news stories that have been in the press and, and on the BBC is how often you get a, a kind of a headline item, which was, for example, about a school, a primary school, making a connection with a, a care home and people from the primary school going into the care home to be a help to the older folk who are living in the care home. And, and that would make the six o'clock news. 
this amazing thing that people are doing. And I'm thinking, hang on, it's what happens in church. <laughs> or it's what should happen in church. Uh, the, the world is, if you like, recognizing there is a value there in this sort of balance. But actually, every Sunday, there are a mix of people coming through the doors, young and old. But And here's the challenge for us as church. I think, essentially, we treat people in a segregated way in terms of age, don't we? Do a few things together at the beginning of church. Just thinking about my church now. We do things together, a few things together at the beginning of church. Then we send the young people off to their groups. Older folk stay behind. We perhaps have a, a senior citizens lunch. We do have a senior citizens lunch once, once a month in our church for senior citizens. And actually, we, we don't work particularly hard, maybe because it is hard, on thinking how do we, how do we make that balance work? So I love the way that you just invited people along this morning to contact, and that was great. And I hope people do come. But actually, I'm thinking about our. So I'm just I'm just going to be honest now about our own. So we have a senior citizens lunch drop-in that we do um, once a month. And do you know what? In half term, we do, if, if ever falls in half term, we don't run it because we think, well, actually, you know, mums will be looking after children and all the rest of it. Actually, we ought to run it, especially in half term so that children could come along to it. But that never crosses our minds, if I'm honest. We're thinking about how do we serve the older folk who are there. So, so I think even as a church leader, we're so conditioned to thinking about serving this group, serving that group, serving this group, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, that we don't actually think, what's the benefit of doing things together? I mean, it's great that you're having a church day away. And you know, you've got to be thinking, how do we do things together? So this balance in the church is not just optical. You know, when I walked in this morning and looked around, great balance, love that. Children, older folk, all together. So the, the, optically, it's right. But practically, how does it work? I think that's a much more difficult question, isn't it? What do you think? Minute, minute with a neighbor, just to think about that. What sorts of things could we do in church life? I'm not committing the church to anything, by the way. It's my caveat. But what sorts of things could you do in church life... I, I hesitate to say integrate a bit more. That sounds very sort of modern. And, but just to, just to make the most of this, this God-given balance. Any brainwaves? I'm, I'm asking as much for myself, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm an elder in a church which is about 10 years old. It's quite sort of new. It's quite nice in a way because nothing feels as though it's, you know, we've been doing it this way for 40 years. Can't do it any other way. But, but equally... Um, you know, sometimes you just need to hear ideas from other people. What, what could you do to try and make the most of this divine, this God-given balance in the church? Yes, so let me come around here with the microphone so others, that means others can hear you. How about having mentor pairs where you, you have an older person men, mentoring a younger person so you actually orchestrate that within the fellowship? And then how about spreading out the older people amongst home groups instead of having... Home groups be a, a bunch of younger people and a okay. bunch of older people. <laughs> so I'm not committing to any of these. But and actually, just part of that, um, when we did our marriage prep, Celia and I, we were given um, um, not just a, a slightly older couple who had been married five years. In fact, our original marriage preparation was done by the pastor who wasn't much older than us. But we were then given another couple who had been married 50 years just to have a meal with once a month for the next six months. Just not, not to go through any program, just to meet up with them, share stories, see how we were getting on. Really loved that, by the way. That was great. Who had the hand up over here? Yes. Yep. 
Oh, just uh, including younger people, brilliant. I remember our younger son, this goes back to the 80s, who was sitting somewhere around there, evening service, um, Peter Granger was preaching, and he said something that seemed quite outlandish, and my son said out very loudly, Gordon Bennett, and I thought, he was listening. He took it on board, you yeah. know, so include the young people. Thank you. And it works both ways, doesn't it? You know, even um, a, ch- a children's song, this morning, he sang a children's song. That's a great way, actually. Um, and saying, you know, this is, this is not just for the children. It's for the whole church family. So actually, um, now I'm convicted because I wasn't very good at doing the actions this morning. But we should have all been enjoying the actions, shouldn't we? Because actually that's the way that we encourage the children. Works both ways. We get them to sing our old hymns. We sing their little songs. Great. Um, yeah, what else? Anything on this side? You look very wise on this side. <laughs> Got any insights for me? This is to do with what's already been said about mentor, but there's somebody in church who mentors, well, actually, both my children, but especially my daughter, and goes out for cups of tea when she's back. She's 19, she's at uni, goes out for cups of tea, just gets to know her, and she knows that that person's praying for her and that she can talk to her if she wants to. My daughter's had a lot going on and doesn't want to, but she knows that that person is there. And, and actually, that capacity to provide that kind of input, um, that doesn't diminish at the same rate that our physical abilities diminish. So um, my mum and dad, elderly, um, getting frailer, they can still operate WhatsApp. So they can still send me messages. And actually, there are folk in our church who are frail and elderly, but still send me little WhatsApp encouragements. So there, there are great ways, aren't they, actually, of serving one another in church life. And you'll be able to think of others we need to try and make the most of them. Um, what I'd love to do is just um, just press on quite quickly. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do number five quite quickly and then jump over to seven to eight. And that's because you can see number six. You can see those references and you can work through those. Um, you don't need me to help you. I'll just say a very little word about those. Um, but just to say that old age, I've not, I, I've not really used the right word here. Um, old age is meant to... Bring satisfaction. That's a better way of putting it, because that's the word the Bible uses. So I'm just going to read to you from Psalm 91. It's a beautiful little passage in Psalm 91. When the Lord is talking about a believer, he says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It's very interesting, isn't it, that the the Bible sees, despite all the realism about long life and the sort of the shutting down of the body, if you like, that, that comes with it, there is a satisfaction in it, a spiritual contentment. And, and I think one of the extraordinary things that I've noticed, and you have, I'm sure, too, and perhaps even experienced, is as we get older, contentment becomes more and more important and more and more of a Christian virtue that we're able to celebrate and rejoice in. Actually, as we learn not to be content in all the things the world holds dear, especially in our bodies, I mean, look at mine, you know, especially in our bodies, we learn to be content in the things that really matter. And, and that means, actually, that those who are older in the church have something, not just generally to pass on to a younger generation, but have a specific role, I think, to show a younger generation what true biblical contentment looks like. And that's what's going on in 2 Corinthians 4, actually. Paul says, I'm not losing heart. 
And my body's not working properly. I've been, been beaten up a lot. And actually, my ministry is not as productive and fruitful as I'd love it to be. But I'm not losing heart. I'm just I'm pressing on because I know there's something better. There's, there's a contentment that we have to pass on to others. Um, let me just show you uh, some of these. I'm going to quickly run through these just to sow some seeds in your mind. These are personal observations of mine that I've learned from being a pastor for 20-something years um, and just things I've come across. You'll be able to think of others. But, but I wonder if in church life we tend to flatten the pastoral care that we give. Now, pastoral care in church life happens in two ways. It happens formally from those who, those who are employed to do it. There's a kind of public ministry, a private ministry, one-to-one and so on. But also it happens as we do those one-anotherings in the Bible. As we encourage one another, we spur one another on to love and good deeds. So there's, there's kind of all sorts of levels of pastoring, of caring, spiritual caring um, going on in the church. But here are just some ideas where I think actually we don't give enough thought to especially serving and helping older folk in the church. I think preaching, especially in our applications, I say that as a preacher, it's very difficult to preach outside of your experience. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. When you've rushed up to the preacher afterwards just to critique his sermon on the door, which he always loves, by the way, he really appreciates those last-minute critiques at the door. I'm joking. Um, when you sort of run up to him, um, I, I wonder if you sometimes stop to think actually how difficult it is to preach out of your own experience. So if you're married, it's very difficult actually to think carefully about what application should be for people who are single. If you're 54, it's quite difficult to imagine what the applications are for a 17-year-old. Because actually, it's a long time ago that I was 17, and my 17 is not the same as a 17 today. It's, it's actually difficult for me to think carefully about what the application should be for someone who is shut in or someone has a long-term illness that is perhaps even terminal. So, so do pray for your preachers to have that kind of godly wisdom and help them. They'd love help, I'm sure, and perhaps I'm speaking out of term, but I'm sure they'd love help just with preaching applications to think, you know, don't critique them in this way. Um, that sermon said nothing to me. But instead, you could say to them, you know that passage you preached this morning, Ephesians 2, Adrian? I was just thinking how that applied to me. And I thought it applied to me like this. And suddenly I'm encouraged. You've listened to the sermon. You've been blessed by it. But also, I'm helped to think about how I might preach it to you next time. And the same goes for Bible study questions. So it's, um, it's just insensitive and absurd, really, to set a Bible study question that says, how is this, how is this truth going to help you at work tomorrow? Well, older folk probably aren't going to be working tomorrow. You've got to think more carefully about that. So, so those who are setting questions in church need to be thinking, what are older folk in the church going to be doing tomorrow? What sort of help do they need? I think there are some particular issues that we're ill-prepared to think through. And each of these, by the way, most of them, could be a, a, you know, one of your Sunday evenings on its own. Um, I don't think we do much about preparing people for death and singleness especially for those who've been married a long time. Um, losing a, a loved spouse after many, many years of marriage or suddenly or in shocking circumstances is very, very tricky pastorally. And I think we just kind of assume people will get on with it. Or we sort of fit it into a, we accept a, what, what I call a Vera Lynn mentality, we'll meet again, don't worry, you'll meet again. Which is not the hope, by the way, that the Bible holds out to those who are bereaved. The hope that the Bible holds out to those who are bereaved is you'll see Christ. 
It's not we'll meet again. We will meet again. <laughs> but that's not actually the, the main hope for Christians. And so if we say to folk who are grieving, actually this applies to any age, if, if we offer as our hope to those who are grieving simply, don't worry, you'll see him again or you'll see her again, we're not telling them what the Bible says. It's actually a, a, a substandard form of, of care. And I just don't think we, we give much thought to what it means to suddenly lose a spouse or even actually a parent or a child. We just don't think very much about death, do we? Um, I, I think change of residency is a massive thing for older folk. And my parents have just moved out of their um, nice house to, well, it's a nice bungalow, but they've gone to a bungalow. Um, my mum had been quite poorly. It was a good thing for them to do. It is, and then I say they're not believers, it has just done my dad's head in. He feels that that's the end. It's all come to an end. And every, we're all saying, oh, it's a great thing you've done. You know, it's very sensible, very wise. And he's just sitting at home thinking, this is the end. And no one has thought to say to him, it's hard. It's hard. How can we help you? He walks out of his house, walks down the road, walks out the, down the front of his old house every day. And of course, if that residency involves going into care or into some kind of um, residential home, then I think that can be multiplied. Um, changing health and capability. I just want to say, sorry, I'm, I'm running over. I'm going to be out five minutes more. If you have to go, that's fine. Just disappear. Um, I, I don't think as well in terms of pastoring, we give much thought to changing mental health and capability. Um, let me tell you the story of Ethel very briefly. Ethel's a dear old saint in the church I pastored. Um, she had quite severe dementia, um, which did extraordinary things to her. She suddenly started speaking French, having not spoken French for 60 years. It's just sort of a bizarre thing to me. Anyway, um, she, dear Ethel, she was in this home. Um, she believed that everyone in the home was stealing from her. And I would go and see her every week. And she would remember who I was. She would say, Pastor, they're all stealing from me. Look, my purse is empty. She didn't have any money. She said, my purse is empty. £100 has gone this week. I think it's the staff or it's other residents. And every week at first, as a young pastor, I used to say to her, Ethel, I'm sure people are not stealing from you. It's not what's going on. But she was convinced that people were stealing from her. And in the end, my pastoral strategy changed. And I started saying to her, well, if people are stealing from you, Ethel, how do you think you should deal with that as a Christian? And I'm a bit torn at this point because I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure that's not what's happening. I've spoken to the staff. I'm pretty sure that's not what's happening, but it's her reality. I've got to pastor into her reality. And I felt a bit torn about that. So I went to my bookshelves. I thought there must be some books on this, on how to pastor people with d- diminishing um, capacity, mental capacity. Nothing. And actually, it's an increasing, as you've seen, it's an increasing problem as people get older. So just generally in church, we do need more thought, I think, about how to pastor people, especially when their mental capabilities begin to diminish. Here's another situation I heard about, a real situation. I won't say the name this time. Um, Ethel, by the way, is in glory and wonderfully restored in every way, which is the great hope, isn't it? But a pastor was telling me about a a couple in his church, um, elderly mother, very strong saint. I think she'd been a missionary at some point in life, very, very strong faith, um, struggling in later life with dementia and had said to her children, I'm not a Christian anymore. 
children were devastated. Just had no idea how to deal with it, how to process it. And that's what I mean by, I don't, I don't know, sorry, I don't have glib answers to these things, but I just think we need to give more thought to that kind of pastoral care in the church. These things are not straightforward, but we do need to think about them. And just one last thing to say in terms of pastoral care for older people. You're going to think this is a bit, um, I don't know, I don't know what you'll think about this, I'll tell you anyway. Um, increasingly, it will be an older generation in church, let's say people who are retirement age and above now, who will finance the church of the future. Because younger people don't have so much disposable income, they can't afford houses. They haven't, they haven't benefited from the housing boom when they bought a house, know someone who bought a house in Hackney 30 years ago, a parsley, paid 16,000 pounds for it, and now it's worth goodness knows how much. And they just haven't, they won't and haven't benefited from that kind of extraordinary growth in house prices. And yet, actually, the de facto position for every person is just to leave all your money to your children. I've, I've showed my children my will and I've said, you're not getting it all. And I want to leave some to the church. I want to leave some to, we've got to help people think wisely about their finances. It, it sounds callous. I don't mean it to be callous. But I think actually one of the great benefits of older folk to the church is that they can be a rich resource, not just of wisdom and goodness, but money and time in the right phase of life. So make of that what you will. And if you want to um, come and get me afterwards, um, that's fine. Uh, One last thought. One last thought to finish with. that The need to reach um, older people is urgent. Statistically, it is urgent. You all know that. And yet, most churches invest heavily in youth work and hardly at all in seniors' work. And I think that's an omission. So older people are nearer the day of judgment. And the need for everyone, of course, is urgent. Um, But the reality is um, that when churches often run um, work for older people, it's about how they care for them or how they serve them, not how they reach them. I loved what you said this morning, Caroline, about your little motto. Just tell us again what it was. Well, you just claim it. Claim it. Okay. It's building a bridge of friendship that people can walk across to meet Jesus. Building a bridge of friendship that people can walk across to meet Jesus. I love it. I think it's great. Can I borrow it? Have you got? Is it copyrighted? Probably. But the idea of doing what we do so that people can meet Jesus. I love that. It's wonderful. And that needs to shape actually a lot of what we do, doesn't it, in church? I mean, there are mercy ministries that are worth doing as a church. But actually, we've got to make sure that our work amongst seniors as churches doesn't just become a mercy ministry. It actually has this goal of of sharing the gospel in an appropriate way. I want to finish by telling you a wonderful story about um, a church. Actually, we were talking about earlier on when we saw that you and I both know Holy Trinity Claygate, uh, which is a church just around the bottom of, of London. Um, a woman called Pippa Hayward who works there who um, she's she just been made an M, I think an MBE in the New Year's Honours list for her work with seniors and, and she was involved in a charity that I helped set up called Faith in Later Life and um, they run an evangelistic course for older folk in homes and they tried running Alpha it was, didn't really work they tried running as kind of a version of Christianity Explore didn't really work and so they, they ran this um, they ran this course which is based on six hymns that a lot of people in homes would have remembered. And each week they went into a home over the six weeks, they sang all six hymns, and they just said a little bit about one of the hymns. And the hymns 
took you through the gospel. So the first hymn was All Things Bright and Beautiful, about God who created everything. Second hymn, I mean, you might want to quibble with some of the theology, but the people knew it, was Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, Forgive Our Foolish Ways. They talked about sin. The third hymn, I think, was um, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Fourth hymn was Thine Be the Glory, um, Amazing Grace is the fifth one. I can't remember what the sixth one was. Something to do with the second coming or new creation. I can't remember. But you see the point. They were, they were using entirely appropriate mechanisms rather than trying to shoehorn older folk who are in homes into a particular pattern. And interestingly, they found that they could run that very easily. It just required someone to play the piano. And people loved singing along and joining in. And then there was just a little word. And they've seen extraordinary conversions through that. Because it's thoughtful, it's thought through, it's appropriate, and it has as an aim, wanting to reach people with the good news of Christ Jesus. And she was telling me this story, Pippa, and um, I was interviewing her. So she got to tell me the story, and then I got to interview her on stage at a, at a conference about it. And I, I thought to myself, I, I could do this. And I said to the, there was an audience of evangelists, people who are working in church as church evangelists, I said, we could do this, couldn't we? I got quite excited about it. And people say, yes, we could do that. We, you know, we're thinking, what do we do in old folks' homes around by us? Well, we could do that. And actually, very often, it's just finding things, isn't it, that we can do that will be a great help. Friends, um, th- there's lots of information on the Faith in Later Life website, I think, is a really good, good place to go. Um, there's lots of good information there. Um, it's run by Pilgrim's Friends, um, Faith in Later Life, or set up by Pilgrim's Friends, if you know them. Um, so some really good resources. And just if you are um, slightly more senior in years, can I just recommend this book by Derek Prime? Derek um, went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. Um, I work with his son, Johnny Prime. It's called A Good Old Age. It's a lovely little book. You can get it from ten of those. I'm sure Colin can sort it out for you if you want. It's quite a simple little book, just an A to Z of how to make the most of of being a bit older and I think that's a real help sorry it's been quite scoot I realise that but I hope you've been encouraged just to see just the value of older folk in church and just to see perhaps some of the ideas of how we can make more of that in church life shall I pray Father we praise you so much that you are the Lord of life and thank you Heavenly Father that you are the one who breathes breath into us when we're born that you, Holy Spirit, breathe life into us when we're reborn. And thank you for the eternal life we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you that one day all the aches and pains and frustrations we feel about getting older will be done away with. Thank you for the resurrection bodies when we'll be made like your son. We praise you, Heavenly Father, for that great hope. Please, Heavenly Father, may this be a church where those who are older are celebrated and 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 used in a a wise and godly way, valued, esteemed, respected. Help us as we teach those things to younger folk. Help the leaders of the church as they wrestle constantly with these kinds of questions. And please, Heavenly Father, will you bless the contact group and lots of other efforts that are made to reach out to those who are older. We pray, gracious God, for great evangelistic fruit. We long that many of those that we are talking to and, and and working with and inviting we will be with one day when we meet christ that's our great hope please hear our prayers in jesus name amen